You stand on the shore of the ocean watching the tide come in. You sense the call of the sea beckoning to take you in further. You step forward little by little not knowing what to expect, but expecting more. You keep going as the ocean calls calls you to enter in to deeper waters. Deeper Waters Podcast. I am Nick Peters, your host, seeking to bring you the very best in Christian scholarship and the projects. And today we've got an important show lined up. Now, I had wanted to record this Saturday, but there was a scheduling conflict, so it's a, a Tuesday afternoon as I record this, so chances are on your podcast feed will be listed on Saturday because I'm kind of consistent in that way as much as I can be. And I'd like to warn all of you out there about it. If you're listening and you have small children or who uh, who might not be ready to hear us kind of thing, we're going to be talking about more adult topics today. So if you're listening and you've got small children with you that you don't want to ask, have them ask questions just yet, you might want to save this interview for later when you're alone. Having said that, we're going to be talking about the talk. But you know, every parent out there pretty much dreads the time when they have to talk to their parents, to their children, I mean, about the birds and the bees, the facts of life. Now, that's always been an awkward conversation to have in the past. Today, for Christian parents, it's even more awkward because now we have to talk about homosexuality and that's going to be a focus of what we're talking about today but we could add in now you have to talk about transgender as well and in light of the events that happened Saturday of the Orlando shooting this is a more and more relevant topic now my friend Tom Gilson is one who wrote a book on this and Sean McDowell who was on last week endorsed this book wrote a forward for it in fact and it's, it's a wonderful little book. It's called Critical Conversations about how to talk to your children about homosexuality. And Tom writes this not just with the head of an apologist, not just the intellectual stuff that's in there, but he guides you through piece by piece. He's got the heart of a pastor. And, and I don't think he's an ordained minister anywhere, but he does have a pastoral heart in this book. He'll guide you through step by step, even if you're unfamiliar with apologetics. And in the end, he's got an excellent section, a reply to sound bites, as I prefer to call them, little pet slogans. Chances are, if you've been interacting on Facebook, you've had at least one of these thrown your way. I know my wife had quite a few thrown her way already. Anyway, who is Tom? He's got a Bachelor of Music and Music Education and Trombone Performance from Michigan State University. They received in 1979. He's got an MS in Industrial and Organizational Psychology from the University of Central Florida in 1998. And he's got a certificate of referee graduate hours from Campus Crusade for Christ Institute for Biblical Studies. He's a smat- he got a smattering of courses from Denver and Talbot Seminaries. He's a lead editor of True Reason, Confronting the Irrationality of a New Atheism. And he's the author of a book we're talking about today, Critical Conversations, A Christian Parent's Guide to Discussing Homosexuality with Teens. He's got over 150 published articles, including work published at Touchstone, Salvo, and Discipleship Journal. 
blogging at Thinking Christian since 2004 and 34 years with Campus Crusade. Free puts things in perspective with me since I turned 36 in September. Two years of Breakpoint and two years in senior national leadership with Rashio Christie. <clears throat> He's currently senior editor and ministry coordinator specializing in apologetics and inspiration of the stream. And he's been on before, so I'd like to say welcome back, Tom. Well, it's good to be here, Nick. Always mm -hmm. good to talk with you. Mm-hmm. Now, if my audience doesn't know who you are, tell us a little bit about you know, how you got to be doing what you're doing personally. Well, that's a long story. And um, I guess I'll go back to a prayer that I prayed several years ago. I was working in... <laughs> the field of uh, strategy and organizational effectiveness for the various ministries of Campus Crusade for Christ, or CRU as it's known now. But I had a strong interest in apologetics, and one day I just I, I prayed what I call a stupid question. It wasn't even a prayer request. It was a stupid question, which is, if I'm interested in strategy and if I'm interested in apologetics, is there any point where they intersect and could where strategy could help apologetics? Well, at that point, God said yes, and um, I started writing a lot. I started being invited to help lead apologetics strategy uh, sessions at national conferences. I ended up working with Chuck Colson's ministry for a couple of years, and then uh, it, it just took off. But here's the deal, is that strategy is about being effective and effective means in, in biblical terms it means effective at serving people's needs for the sake of the kingdom for their growth and for reaching people for Christ that's that's really what strategy is about and um, and apologetics is one field that you know we, we want to be effective in reaching people and encouraging them in the faith and, and helping them understand it's true and leading them to the Lord if they don't already know the Lord well, Critical Conversations, the book rose out of that because I see that topic, the, the whole question of the homosexual turnaround in society as being something that's a real issue for kids. And strategically, if you write a book about that for teenagers, they're not going to buy it. So I wrote it for parents to help them understand how to help their kids understand. So... Um, I mean, there's a, like I said, it's a long story. I'm going to leave the rest out because, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I like that you did write this for parents because, yeah, let's face it, most of the times kids don't really read things as much anymore, especially since you can just Google everything. Is that right? Yeah, it's not the kind of a thing that kids would, but also, it's not just whether they would read it, but it's also whether they would find this kind of information if they were Googling it. Because it's not that easy to find the right stuff when you do a web search. You've got to have some sense of direction. And for kids who are wondering what their sense of direction should be, chances of them stumbling on it the first try are pretty pretty slim. Mm-hmm. Now, um, uh, if we had done this Saturday, Chances are it wouldn't have been as much in the news talking about homosexuality, but now it's everywhere in the right. news in light of what happened at the nightclub in Orlando. And what are your thoughts on what happened? Well, 
first of all, it's too close to home. The San Bernardino shooting was on a road that I used to drive to go dating my wife before we were married. This Orlando shooting was less than three miles from the home where we lived for eight years. Um, we lived, well, it was almost a straight shot, except for there were a couple of little, well, little tiny lakes annoying stuff. Um, we lived straight east of there. Uh, in a section of Orlando called Conway. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's too close to home because these are fellow human beings anyway. Who cares where you live? These people were people who shouldn't mm-hmm. have been hurt. I mean, there's there's all kinds of grief there. It's just wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, we disagree on some things. but and, and so we have some differences in some matters. But what we share in common is that we're all people. Loved mm-hmm. by God, created in His image. So my first re- reaction is just to say, "Oh God, no, that shouldn't have happened," mm-hmm. and to pray for the people who are left behind, um, either dealing with the shock of, from being there and surviving, or dealing with the shock in their families or whatever. God help them. Mm-hmm. That's my first response, and I think. Um, it's the most important one. Just uh, an hour or two or so ago, with Babylon B, the Christian satire site, had an article come up about radical Christians and saying, radical Christians praying for people who are hurt from the Orlando event. And it, hmm. it's satire, it's parody, but it's, it's sad that it needs to be said because what stunned me so much was seeing all these Christians on Facebook having to say, we don't endorse and support this kind of violence, and I'm saying, yeah, I know we don't, but why should people out there think that we do? Why do we even think we have to say that? Right, that's a good question. You know, it's maybe we're afraid. N.T. Wright opened in a, a lecture once, and he was quoting somebody else. I don't I forget who, and he said that the danger of speak of being a Christian speaker is that. If you don't say everything you believe every time you open your mouth, people will think you don't believe it. Mm-hmm. Well, we need to relax on that. I do not need to say every time I open my mouth what I believe about homosexuality. The most important thing to say when I open my mouth, if I'm going to open my mouth, I could keep quiet, but here we are in a podcast, so I'm not yeah. supposed to. Um, It'll be a very boring show if you do. I don't think people want to just listen to me. Right. Well, I don't know. But anyway... <laughs> um, <laughs> The most important thing to say is we care. That's the most important thing to say this time. Mm-hmm. And doesn't it seem amazing though that the shooter was a Muslim, apparently, but the media and so many other people are rushing to blame Christians for it. Yeah, I saw that in an article, especially by the first one I saw it on was one by Michael Brown, who was uh, who had it posted on our stream website, stream.org. And, um, that, you know, the idea is that because, well, someone said there were like 200 anti-gay bills introduced in, in Congress or different Congresses, and so therefore Christians are to blame for this. Um, that's, in the book Critical Conversations, I talk about how messaging gets manipulated. And this isn't about the shooter anymore, and this isn't about the victims. This is about people 
who are taking advantage of this in order to manipulate a message about Christianity when we talk about what we're talking about, what you brought up just now, I mean. And it's going on all the time. It's, it's pervasive. It's a barrage. It's an assault. It really hits our teens hard yeah. because they're unequipped to handle it. I was talking with on my wife's Facebook page today and she wants to go out there and do what she can to clear up the misconceptions and such and she had a, one of her friends posting about you know how Chick-fil-A opened their doors and in the Orlando area and provide food for those in need and she uses this person to start saying we are prejudiced against homosexuals and such and then I started dialoguing with her and she was pretty much saying things like, well, if you oppose a, what she called same-sex marriage, I prefer to call it redefining marriage, and isn't that because you don't like them and it goes against your religion? And I said, no, first off, it's not about my religion, really. I could disagree with homosexuality and be an atheist for that matter. But it's more that I actually just disagree with the behavior and don't think we should be endorsing it. And I, if you're going to say because you don't like someone's behavior, you don't like them, well, all of us don't like ourselves then because we all do things we know we shouldn't every day. And then she was saying, well, do you, do you think you could like someone and be a friend of someone who was homosexual? I said, sure. And I worked at a store once. There was a homosexual I worked with and we were, I was getting ready to go on my lunch break where I go to a local pizzeria, get a buffet. He said, hey, why don't I come with you? It's my time for my break, too. I said, sure. We went out, sat together, talked about our lives, things like that. Came back. I didn't think a thing about it. He said, I'm just going out with a friend. Right. Yeah. And and that kind of question, you know, you mentioned the, the latter part of my book deals with different slogans. That's very similar to the one, the first one in, the, in that section where mm-hmm. the slogan is, you're a hater. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that if we disagree with their moral opinions or their behavior, then that makes us haters. Mm-hmm. Well, if they disagree with our moral opinions and if they disagree with our behaviors, does that mean that they're haters? Is, mm-hmm. is the disagreement what makes you a hater? If it is, yeah. then they're haters too. Well, I don't think that's true. I don't think they're haters. I think what they've done is that they have grabbed a word with a lot of rhetorical power and they've slammed us with it when it doesn't fit either group. Allie was talking to me about how we kind of have an entitlement generation out there and one of the things about them is that they don't study the issues but they think they know all about them. I I was talking with another one of her friends who was trying to bring up what Christians you're going to say, well, how about for Crusades? How about the Inquisition? Say, okay, here are some scholarly resources I can recommend you eat on them. And after a while, they didn't want to talk anymore. And I said, honey, I guarantee you, these friends of yours are arguing, they have never once read anything, really, about the Crusades, the Inquisitions. They're picking up cold words. They've heard, expecting it to shut down every Christian they come across. And unfortunately, too often, it will. Right. And so, in this book... Mm-hmm. I've got, you're a hater, you're homophobic, why are you so intolerant? How can you think your morality is better than others or that you're better than other people? Anti this, anti that, you're just anti-gay. Why won't you just let us be? If they're homophobic, maybe you're a closet gay or lesbian yourself. Hate is not a family value. You're harming LGBT people with your intolerance. And I've got about, I don't know, 
15 or 20 more like that. Mm -hmm. And and people spout these kinds of thing at us, things at us, and uh, and and it's like I said, it's a barrage because it mm -hmm. comes so frequently. But you know what? There are actually really calm, sane, rational answers that it don't even just uh, don't even require scholarly yeah. answers. They're just like um, like the one I said is. Does hate mean, does disagreement mean hate? Well, if it does, then you're a hater. But I don't think you're a hater. Let's agree to just stop using that word because it doesn't fit either of us. Yeah. Well, let's dive into the book here a okay. bit. Now, I can't speak from the perspective of a parent yet, of course, but um, I'm sure you remember when your kids came of age and you had to give them the talk. Yeah. And whenever that was, was it really necessary to talk about homosexuality then? No. And um, I didn't know what I was signing up for when I became a parent. I didn't know this was going to be on the list, on the agenda. So, no, it, it was... Although, you know, things would come up and we would talk about them as... And really, that's the way it should be anyway. Yeah. It's not, quote, the talk. It's it's building just a long-term relationship with your right. son or daughter so you can have talks on the way to soccer practice. What do your friends think about this? And so mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. But the thing is that things have just changed in a few years' time. What was considered something you don't talk about in public 20 years or so ago is now being marched down the streets of our cities in gay pride parades and it's not just we have to talk to teenagers about this more and more before too long it's going to be we have to talk to elementary schoolers about this i keep hearing that i keep hearing that when i'm talking with people about this book because they're saying well my eight-year-old this my 10-year-old is getting hit on by a classmate I, I, um, my my 10-year-old son is being hit on by a male classmate and uh and the parents said we had to cut him off from texting my son and so, yeah, it's, um, I had to, re I wrote the book for teens because it, it assumes a certain level of, um, cognitive maturity mm -hmm. that you can think through certain ways of answering questions. But I think parents need to know what's in it, even when their kids are six years old yeah. or early. We seem to live in an atmosphere where parents think they can pretty much isolate their children from the rest of the world and I mean I'm not speaking against homeschooling if you want to homeschool your children I think that's excellent especially in light of uh, Obama's recent edict on transgender schools and, and right. schools and such but even if you do that <clears throat> you're not going to isolate your children no if you, if, yeah. if you lock them in a room and, and, and close the uh, the blinds and cut off all electricity to the room, you can keep them away from this. By the way, that's a really, really bad idea. It's called child abuse in some states, isn't it? Uh, probably every state, I hope. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in, I, I've used the analogy, just picture your uh, son going on YouTube and wanting to listen to a song by his favorite Christian band on there. You know what's going to come up in related videos? There are going to be videos about homosexuality, about atheism, everything. 
So it's not a question anymore of are you going, do your children need to be equipped? They definitely do. The question is, are you going to do a good job of it or a bad job of it? Yeah, the question is whether you're going to have the conversations with them or whether you're going to let everybody else have the conversations with them mm -hmm. and, and you stay out. Mm -hmm. now, I'd like to also ask that, I mean, this is about parents talking to their teenagers, but at the same time, have you talked with pastors any about this? Because I find pastors hardly ever preach anything about sex from a pulpit. And meanwhile, someone like Robert Gagnon has said, pastors need to do a sermon on sex at least once a month from a pulpit. Yeah, I, I, I have talked with some pastors who have, um, and the ones I've talked to since the book came out have been ones who said, yeah, we need to work on this. And, um, and so yeah, this is helpful kind of resource for youth pastors in particular. We gotta, we've got to have these. And by the way, you know, it's called critical conversations. And, you know, pastors and parents might say, why would I want to talk with them about that? What could be more awkward than that conversation? Mm -hmm. And the fact is, um, you have to because somebody else is having a conversation with them. Mm -hmm. uh, what I've tried to do in the book is make it less awkward, a lot less awkward. Yeah, because if our young people are not receiving a Christian view on sex and marriage, they're receiving someone else's view. They are. And I've had people say, why do Christians make sex such a big deal? And I go, what are you talking about? Who's making it a big deal? Have you seen a commercial lately? Yeah. <laughs> or a sitcom? Mm -hmm. I mean, we're not the ones who are making it a big deal. It, it, it's interesting that uh, you phrase that because when I hear that, my first thought is, I'm just respecting reality. Sex is already a big deal. I just figure if it's such a big deal, maybe we should do it right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> one, yeah. one girl I heard once in a, in, a, in a youth group meeting, she said, What's the big deal? She was. Um, oh, I remember being like a six-year-old. She said, "What's the big deal about a kiss?" And I said, "What's the big deal about a kiss?" Mm -hmm. Every kiss I've ever shared with my wife has been a big deal. Why would oh, you yes. not to be a big deal? Oh yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> my, my my wife can wonder how how it why we we kiss every day and, and i said yeah and i've never gotten tired of it yeah that's the way it's supposed to be yeah. and you you start out though not with the negative case which is really good but the positive case and i think it's important that you phrase it so well i always point back to this one memory i have when i was in bible college in the church i was attending and the time they had a ceremony for the silver ring thing. And if some of you don't know about that, it's kind of like true love waits, uh, purity until marriage and such. And the associate pastor got up and gave a talk and he said, you know, I want you all to know if you have sex before you get married, it will be for selfish reasons. And I'm thinking, yeah, okay, yeah, I, I, I think I can agree with that. Mm -hmm. He said, you need to think about some consequences. You mean about what if you get an STD? What if you get pregnant? What about the shame and guilt you could feel? What would you tell your future spouse on a wedding day if you had to say you did not save yourself for them? And I'm listening to all of this, 
and I'm thinking when I hear everything, Pastor, I'm sorry, but those sound like selfish reasons to me, too. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. Good job, Nick. Unfortunately, I didn't say it, but that's because it was, the sermon was going on, and that's all I could think about. And then he kept going on and on about that kind of thing. Hardly said anything about the positives, the joy of sex. And he kind of like gave lip service to it in one sentence and then went on. And I'm back there getting bored. And right. I tell people, I say, listen, if you are talking from a pulpit about sex at a church, and you've got a college-age guy in the audience, and he is getting a, and he is getting bored. You are talking about it wrong. Yeah, it shouldn't be a boring topic. No. Uh, but God gave us family, and mm-hmm. He gave us marriage for good reasons. He gave it to us in the way He gave it to us mm-hmm. for good reasons because it's good, and it's not just about sex. Of course, mm-hmm. it's about building a a home, a family, a center for people, for young, very, very young people, Mm -hmm. to grow up in and learn what it means to be a human being in in a small group and in a large group. It's it's really, um, it's good. Yeah. And it's not about sex, but it'd be crazy to know that sex is a central part of marriage. It is a central part of it. Mm-hmm. Now, here's something that's changed, and, yeah. and this is one of the reasons this has come about in the last uh, 20 years. It took a while for it to hit us all as hard as it has, but mm-hmm. there was a time, and people um, people my age have trouble remembering it, and people younger, I'm almost 60, people younger than me cannot remember it. There was a time when if you got married, you planned on having babies, and that was part of the marriage plan mm-hmm. because if you were going to get married you were going to have physical intimacy with each other and unless there was a medical problem you were going to have babies mm-hmm. period right so you couldn't think of marriage as just being for the mutual satisfaction of the guy and the girl mm-hmm. that's not true since maybe 50 or 60 years ago as a result of widespread availability of contraception and even worse as a result of abortion mm-hmm. people can now have and I'm talking about men and women get married for the just just so the two of them can enjoy each other that mm-hmm. never used to be true marriage mm-hmm. has changed in that way mm-hmm. yeah you know, I, I mean I would say for instance Ari and I wouldn't mind having kids right now we do hold off for medical and financial reasons, but when uh-huh. we got married, I mean, that was one of the wishes of both of us eventually is, yeah, it'd be, it'd be great if we could be parents now. If medical and such reasons never change, we're still going to be devoted to each other and such, and we're just saying, God, if, if this isn't what you have for us, give us something else, some other way we can serve you. And that's, that's healthy, because yeah. some people don't have kids, and they don't have get kids because of, like you said, yeah. there are there are overridingly strong reasons not to, yeah, you know, or they can't. Mm-hmm. And um, but it, it didn't used to be an option. Now it is, and so mm-hmm. um, building yourself into the lives of, with with deep love and deep deep mm-hmm. giving, building your lives into a very helpless young person and watching them grow up for twenty or thirty or more years is optional. Mm-hmm. So that's really changed what marriage is about. 
So gay marriage is actually not much different from when straight uh, people get together and have a what I call just you and me babe marriage. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not that much different. Why? You know, if if you if we can have just you and me babe marriage between a man and a woman, why can't we have it between a man and a man? I, I you know, there's not much different. I find also that sex is being treated kind of like a commodity and just another thing people do together for fun yep. and such. And when, when I, before I got married, my dad was working at a company and most of our around were pretty trashy, to say a word. And when he talked about me, he'd say, you know, he's getting, say he's getting ready to get married and he, he's a virgin. He'd say, he'd say, oh, no, no, he's lying to you. He... He's had some action on side. He's lying. No, he isn't. I could story for him said, nope, I'm not. Harry and I waited until our wedding night. Well, that's the way it's supposed to be. It's healthy that way. Yeah. But, yeah, sex has been decoupled from marriage and, and, and from children. And children have been decoupled from everything. And the three used to always go together, or they, you know, with rare exceptions. And now they're they're completely three different categories and that's not been very good for children it's not been very good for marriages it hasn't even been very good for sex yeah you're right um, i'm thinking back to what we said earlier about how some people are saying sex that you said why do you christians make sex such a big deal and we can look back on this with what you're saying words and saying so you're telling us sex is very no big deal it's not anything very special. I mean, do you really want to say that that's what you're saying? Right. Yeah, we don't want to say that. Mm-hmm. So anyway, back to the, the whole topic of yeah. critical conversations. It's really a good thing that God made marriage the way he did because it's mm-hmm. really good for the next generation. It's really good for kids. It's actually really good for the couple to be in a position where... Um, Learning to love is not optional. Mm-hmm. And you learn to love in a different way when you're loving someone that small and that helpless. Mm-hmm. And you also, for those who aren't married yet, you learn that even when you, you're, when you get married first off and as you grow in marriage before any children come along. I've, uh, yeah. I've, got, I've got a friend who proposed just Saturday and thankfully she said yes. And I've talked to him and said, uh, you love this girl now, don't you, right? Yep, sure do. And I'll be just as willing to say, yeah, and right now you don't have a clue. You really don't. <laughs> yeah. Until you get married, you do not really know how much it means to say, I love this person. Right. Yeah, that's true. Now, you've referred to God a few times here. And, of course, this is written from a Christian to Christians for the most part, but we we have to say, are we saying that Christianity is a necessity to understand this? Well, here's what I would rather, the way I would put it is that um, the way God created marriage is certainly a lot easier to understand in its fullness if you understand the whole story, of mm-hmm. which includes the whole story of Christ. But you can tell, you can explain the goodness of marriage without using the Bible. Right. You can explain it. That's important, by the way, because you know what? Sometimes kids, sometimes what ha- what parents will do is, or pastors, they'll say, 
marriage is for a man and a woman because the Bible says so. Yeah. But kids have been taught that marriage is much broader than that, and, mm -hmm. and, and that it's very narrow to think of it that way. So when they hear the Bible says so, what they're going to think on the inside is, well, then I don't think very much of the Bible. The Bible is mm -hmm. intolerant and narrow. Right. So, we, what we have to do because of that is we have to explain not only what the Bible says and not only standard apologetics about why the Bible is true, but also why it's good that the Bible is saying this. Yeah. It's good that it's true. We have to be able to explain it in terms that kids can get it. And just saying it's good because the Bible says it's good and the Bible says it's good, therefore it's good, is, is circular thinking. We have to be able to explain it in terms of the way it affects people, mm -hmm. and there and you can do that too. You can yeah. do that because it does affect people in good ways to yeah. follow God's good plan. Yeah, and I'm thinking also about some people were like I say, well, you know, Christians didn't invent marriage. I mean, right. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't until 2,000 years ago that someone got the idea. Hey, let's have men and women pair up together and raise children. And no. <laughs> yeah. And marriage has been a part of pretty much every single society that I know of in history. It has been. Mm -hmm. Skeptics will come up with really, really off-the-wall fringe exceptions, which are very, very, very few. Mm -hmm. But marriage has always been a man and woman. Sometimes mm -hmm. with polygamy, it's been man with woman, man with woman, man with woman. But it's never been man with man. And, and even the women in a polygamous uh, home are not married to each other. Yeah. It's always been the woman and the man, mm. or the women and the man. So, from the beginning, as Jesus said in, in uh, Matthew 19, it was God created the male and female. The man shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. Right. That's that's really, I think that's Genesis chapter 2. That's about as early as you could ask for. Yeah, and when we look at even societies that didn't necessarily frown on homosexual relationships, like many of the ancient Greeks and Romans didn't frown on these kinds of relationships. Some did, but not all of them did. They never once had the idea, hey, let's, uh, let's just change marriage and make it something totally different. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I'm not a student of ancient Greek and Roman yeah. relationships, but I do know that um, that the uh, the well, in some cases, there was a very unequal relationship mm -hmm. between a man and a a servant or something like that. And mm -hmm. to me, that just seems wrong. Right. It, uh, not only that, but it should seem wrong to everybody. Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. The. the the Christian worldview really changed things incredibly with regards to marriage. Things that we seem to take for granted so much and assume are part and parcel of every marriage, they really weren't. I mean, when, not, when Paul writes in Ephesians and says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, being the implication, love your wives so much that you're willing to die for her. Uh, the men listening to the audience are thought, Paul, are you are you crazy? I mean, what what are you thinking when you say things like this? Right, and then let's let's look at First Corinthians seven too, which I'm uh, seven also. I don't know if it's verse two. I'm opening yeah. it up here right now, and I am sorry. Let's see. Um, well, it does start early. 
And I'm reading from the New King James Version. Now, concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Um, let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. This mm-hmm. is all very equal. Yeah. Then it gets even more so. The yeah. wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does, and likewise the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. This is all, um, this is revolutionary. I, yeah. Okay, I'm not, a, I'm not an incredible student of Greek and Roman culture in terms of these things, but I do know that Plato and Aristotle and a lot of other people said that the woman was lesser, and, and the Hebrews too would say the woman is lesser than the man in many ways, and Paul and the scriptures say, no, we're calling each one equal in worth and in value and in the and in um in the level of of value in the relationship this is new yeah you know if you just read a part where it said for a wife's body does not belong to her but belongs to her husband he has authority there everyone read far said well yeah duh we all knew that but right. when you give a counterpart the very next sentence so yeah. Right. What was that? Did 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 Paul misspeak? Yeah. <laughs> no, he didn't. Mm-hmm. He meant to say that. Yeah. And and what that did, marriage did something for women that had mm-hmm. never been the case before. David Marshall, I'm sure a mutual friend of ours, has um, done a lot of work on this, and others are working on it now too. Women in what marriage does for women is beautiful because if mm-hmm. um, because for one thing. Societies and people tend to, uh, the, the one who is physically stronger usually has the ability to get what he wants. And I use the word he advisedly because mm-hmm. in a marriage it's he who is yeah. physically stronger. And not only that, but um, he can walk away. Mm-hmm. So what happens in marriage if you don't have it on a good basis is that it's really a crummy deal for the woman. Mm-hmm. Because she's got the kids, or she's got the pregnancy and then the kids. And she's got the um, the the uh, physical disadvantage, and in most cultures she's got an economic disadvantage, especially if there's kids hanging around. What marriage in the Christian framework does is it is it brings the husband in with the wife on this equal worth level, and it keeps them together, and that's really good for women. Mm-hmm. And in turn, also, it's really good for men because marriage, well, I've been told enough, um, it's been in my own life, marriage domesticates a man. Yeah. It makes him settle down and realize what's important in life yeah. and how he has to care for someone else. And before that, I mean, until a man is married, he's definitely struggling with looking at most every single woman that passes by him. Now, that, um, I'd be forced to lie and say that stops being a struggle once you get married. No, no, it doesn't. But you at least do have some place where you can say, you know what, at the end of the day, I do have someone who does meet my desires, and I meet hers as well. Mm-hmm. And a man in a Christian marriage has to learn to sacrifice Himself. I mean, there are going to be times I can be at the store and oh, I'd love to give out, I'd love to give out. 
I mean, I gotta get something for Ari, and I gotta save the money, because that's, it's more important to me to please her, or I'm gonna say that I can, I can get Amazon gift cards sometimes for programs I do, and I would be saving up when I get an item, and Ari would say, you know, I'd really just like it if I could get this, not knowing I've got these cards saved up, and so I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna put what I want on hold. Click, there you go, hon. There you go. So that's that's cool. And you know, I can illustrate the same thing I think you're talking about too. And mm -hmm. I've traveled a lot. And most of my travel is business travel. And so I'm doing it alone. And so I get on the airplane and I put my stuff up in the overhead bin a little bit under the seat in front of me. And I get mm -hmm. out my book and I read. And I'm just calm. And everything is fine. Well, when my kids were young, there were times when we would all travel together, and I couldn't do that. I had to to, to get the little um, the airplane meal that they served on one of these trips had a little toy in it, and so I'm sitting there playing with the toy and also trying to figure out how to make this flight. And one of my other kids is very, very, very young and crying, and everything is a lot harder. And I'm sitting here thinking, man, it's a whole lot easier to travel alone. And I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. I feel guilty for thinking that. Yeah. But 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 what I came to the point to realizing was, okay, duh, it is easier traveling alone. That's just true. But when I'm traveling with my family, it's a richer experience. Yeah. And I wouldn't have that experience if I took the simple path of always being on my own. Yeah, I think whenever we fly, and unfortunately at this point it's not as often because I don't have as much traveling requests, which I did, but whenever we fly, one of my highlights has always been sitting next to the window and looking out. Love doing that. Yeah. Well, guess what? Allie loves doing it, too. Guess who gets to sit next to the window every time now? And guess, guess who gets to show love to his wife every time Exactly. Now? Yeah. Exactly. That's right. And the, the thing about marriage is it takes many of our desires that are really self-centered and then turns them outward. I mean, in Christian marriage, a man could say, you know, I don't really need to think so much about my wife, maybe they think that I want my wife to be thinking about me. I have to be giving out as well. I have to be making the sacrifices and mm -hmm. such. And I, yeah. it, it's all about learning to die to yourself over and over. And anyway, I'll, I'll tell you this to all you guys out there. If you're interested, if you're a Christian guy, if you're married, or engaged or dating or saying, hey, I'm nowhere near dating, but gosh, it'd be nice to have a girl in my life someday. I do have a group for on Facebook for men who are in that category just to help us learn to love our wives as Christ loved the church. So you can either learn to love your current wife or you can learn to love your future wife by from mentor men who are already married and can tell you how things are. If you want to join that, just please find me on Facebook because you have to be on Facebook and say, hey, I want to join that group I heard you talk about, and I'll get you in. And my wife, meanwhile, has the counterpart group for a female. So if you're a woman listening to this, you want in her group, just let me know. That sounds really good. Mm -hmm. By the way, though, here's here's what we, what we can't overlook. Yep. The part about loving your spouse, mm -hmm. um, a man could say, yeah, I love my spouse. He's a good guy, and I give myself to him or a woman could say yes I love my wife in other words why is gay marriage any different from heterosexual marriage 
mm-hmm. in that respect? And the answer is, well, okay, that's not the key difference. The key difference is that the potential for growth into a family with kids is really what sets straight marriage apart from every other um, version or counterfeit thereof. Even if a couple cannot have kids, they are engaged in the in the type of relationship that is the type of relationship that builds the future and builds mm-hmm. the next generation. And mm-hmm. that's the key difference. Yeah. You know, something I'm thinking about this also is because I mean, it, it's really no secret, but men somehow tend to like having sex and want to have it a lot. I'm, I'm sure that's news to a lot of you listeners out there. It's never crossed your mind that men are very sex crazed, but yeah, we actually are. And the thing is, if you get two homosexual men together, it can be too easy to do, kind of use one another in that way. And in fact, monogamy, it, it normally isn't the norm in these homosexual relationships. It pretty much usually refers to like a favorite one or you you share the same partners together because men will go out as much as they can. Now, if you've got a woman, a woman balances because she doesn't want it nearly as much as a man does. Yeah, and the... Uh this isn't often talked about, but one of the things that's different about a, uh, a straight sexual relationship is that the man, if he loves the woman, has got to learn patience yes. and slow and caring relationally. Mm-hmm. And um, the woman has got to learn some other counterpart things, which I have not had to learn myself because I've never been on that side of the relationship. Yeah. But... Um, There are things you learn by having a relationship with someone who is fundamentally different. Mm -hmm. There are differences, by the way, and it isn't just what you decide you are on the inside. That's another issue. It's not just plumbing. Yeah. No, it's 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 it. There is a little bit of plumbing involved in there, obviously, but there's also just the whole approach to relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I, I find it amazing to try and figure out the way my wife thinks about things as a woman and things that she'd went that I wouldn't think about as a man I have to see from her perspective I have to learn to think what is it like for her to have to be feel more vulnerable and such and you know we actually spend time talking about feelings which to me as a man is like uh doesn't make any sense I mean she's talking to me last night about all these Facebook debates and I said doesn't it hurt you when you know you have to block someone or unfriend someone on Facebook no no it doesn't uh-huh. I mean it, I, I don't blink at it and it, it, it's just one of the differences and being also with this whole transgender thing it, it's got me in a much more protective state because now if we're out there in public and I'm talking about a place other than say a church for instance like a shopping center and now he has to go to the bathroom. If she's in there, I am standing right outside the door watching. Mm. Because I am not taking any chances because I, I know that she's got PTSD and such. She would be horrified 
if she turned around and there was someone she at least thought was a man riding there with her. I'm saying, right, if you want to take it, if there's a slight, even 1% possibility you could take advantage of my wife while you're in there, it's not going to happen on my watch. And I, I know people have said before that if someone inserts Ali on Facebook, sit back, watch the show. It is going to be dangerous. There will be explosions. There will be blood. Yeah. Well, you know, to the whole relational thing, I'm going to, if I may, segue to the whole idea that when you're talking with kids about homosexuality, you have to do it in a relational context right. with them. And so, how are you doing in your connection with your kids? Are you having right. just ordinary conversations? Are you respecting their questions? Mm-hmm. Are you care, do you care what their questions are? Do they know that you care? These things are, um, you know, they're hard to fit into the day, but they, they have to fit into your heart. Yeah. And and then to fit it into the day, you do it during dinner, which I hope you're having together. You do it during drives to school or athletic practices or or um, whatever. You, yeah. you you just kind of do these things and you you check in and you ask questions and and you listen to their answers and you show that you're respecting their questions because they've got really important questions. And at the same time, you have to be careful because you don't want every single conversation to be about this, and you don't want to be nagging or intrusive without nope. cause. Right. No, your questions don't all have to be about tough stuff. They can yeah. be questions about, you know, um, how was practice today, or how you getting along in math, or yeah. what are you watching? What are you? Who are you going on a date with, or what are you watching in, on on TV tonight? Yeah. But. Yeah. In there, you you have to include, in the mix, you have to include the questions that are going to be important. And I remember when, when I was going up with my dad, and unfortunately, we didn't have a project's conversations because none of us knew what it was back then. But if there were some interesting conversations we could have, it would be about superheroes. Actually, and you know the superhero yeah. movies and such out today, and he would tell me about what it was like for him when he was growing up, and these were coming out and such, and then I could talk a little bit about where here's what a Batman is like today, for instance. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it's changed a lot too. No, I remember the first time I got to watch a Superman movie. It was like the most amazing thing. Mm-hmm. They even used the tagline on it. You will believe a man can fly. Yep. Yeah. Now, one place where you say you don't really advise students getting into the debate too much, I think this would be following a Greg Coker tactic, is right. with their professor in college. It'd be there, sometimes it's really not appropriate to do evangelism. Right. And this might be true in high school, too. Right. If... if um, as, as Coco puts it in words similar to this, is, is that it's unwise, every strategist knows that you do not take up an offensive position against a superior force in an entrenched position. You do not go on the offense against someone who can, who can just pound you and will always win in that way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you, if, if the teacher says something like, well, everybody knows that gay marriage is good, then you don't say, raise your hand and say, well, no, the Bible says it's bad. That will get you pounded. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's not good witnessing technique because it, it can't get the whole point across. 
So what Kokel suggests and what I echo in my book is ask some questions like, really, um, how did you come to that conclusion? And um, what do you mean by that? And so on. How it, in what way is it better? Why do you think so? And then ask that as long as you're not nagging the teacher. And then back down and say, you know, that's the best I could do. And I'm not going to try to do more than that because it's, it is literally impossible to do good. Yeah. Trying to do more than that. Yeah. I mean, back when my wife was talking about this and she said, I, I want to be able to do more. I said, honey, you know, you're going to have to read books to do that. She says, yes, I know. The first book that came to my mind was not a book on homosexuality, not a book on marriage. It was Greg Coker's Tactics. That was yep. the first book I want to recommend, and it's on her Kindle. I brought it up for her, and I wait for those interested. <clears throat> In the very first month of this podcast, Greg Coker was one of the first guests we had come on, and he talked about his book, Tactics, with us yeah. for a while. So, I mean, oh, it's great stuff. Yeah. Everybody needs to read Tactics as... Um, as, as their introduction to how to witness in a, in a world that doesn't agree with us very often. Yeah, and one of the good things about this is that you don't have to be a scholar. I mean, when I was talking about it, she said, I don't want to be a scholar. I said, yeah, that's fine. I understand. You don't have to be. All you have to be able to do is do something that Allie, in fact, does do very well. Listen and ask questions. Yeah, right. Yeah. And that, so, that, that, that's in fact where we make a great team together because she listens, she asks questions, and if she needs help, she just types in my name and poof, yeah. I appear, and now I can handle everything else. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> but, you know, you can't always have that with your kids. What you need yeah. to do is, um, well, you do need to know what's going on with them, so you have to ask them questions. And and I do not like putting it as, quote, the talk. I just, like I, I think alluded to twice earlier or once or twice earlier is, when you're driving somewhere, just say, hey, you know, what do, your kid, what, do, what do your friends think about this whole thing about Christianity and, and, the, and gay marriage? What do they think about Christianity? Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and what's their view on this? And then you listen and you don't preach back about how the kids are wrong. You just go, well, that's interesting. And then maybe another day, a week or a month later, you say, you know, I'm also interested in, or you could do it the same day. Who knows? Be the judge. But um, what do you think about these things? What's your view? Now, at that point, you have to be ready to respond, not react. Because unless you've had this conversation before, you don't know what your kid's going to say. Yeah. You've got to remember that they have been really inundated with a message that, that the church, that the Bible, that you don't agree with. Mm-hmm. And so be ready for that. Go, well, you know, I kind of expected you would look at it that way. Um, at some point, I'd like to have a conversation with you on on uh, how that's really not the best thinking overall. I'd like to just have a, could, could we have that talk? I, I, if, you know, wh- why do you think that that's the best answer? What, what's on your mind? And talk it through. Yeah, and some that you've said in the book is that you like to you like to reward your children. They had really really good questions. And yeah. Hey, that's a great question. You know, that question is so good. Let's go out and get an ice cream cone together and discuss it. Yeah. And and if and if there isn't a good answer, 
um, you know, if you need to do the research together yeah. and you can't do it while you're eating ice cream, and do they eat the ice cream anyway together. Yeah. And then come back and say, now let's figure out a good place to get an answer to this. Yeah. But, but yeah, you want to encourage questions. I've heard horror stories, and I call them that, of kids who grew up in families where it wasn't okay to ask questions about the faith. The reason I call them horror stories is because they almost always come out bad. Mm-hmm. We interviewed Sean McDowell on here last week, and one of the things I wanted to start off with, and it was at some point when my friend shared on Facebook and said, and said, here's where you go to listen to this clip, and it's so important. As I said, Sean, tell me when you went to your dad, Josh McDowell, and you said you were unsure about Christianity. Tell us how that went, because I knew that story. Yeah. And he said, and I'm so glad you tell this story. And pretty much what he says, he went up to his dad and said, and his dad said, that's great, son. And that's yeah. not the kind of response you expect to get. But you're saying it's great because now you can go out, you can ask questions. Look, like, I don't want you to believe this because your parents believe it or because you've been taught. I want you to believe it because it's true. And if you want to go out there and look and see if it's true, you go out and look and see if it's true. Amen to that. Mm-hmm. If you if you say the exact opposite, you give the impression of fear, and it tells your children, you know, maybe this really isn't true. Maybe there is some sort of cover-up going on here. Yeah. So that's, by the way, too, when you have these conversations with your kids, mm-hmm. um, you can come into that with knowledge, or you can come into it ignorant. And, yeah. and uh, there's too much of the second version. Yeah. And here's what happens. It's not just that you're um, lacking in knowledge. It's that you're lacking in, in the stability that comes from the confidence of the truth. The first half of or the first third, maybe, or something like that of my book is about understanding what's true and why it's true so that when you get into these conversations with your kids, you can be just calm. Mm-hmm. And if they come up with something off the wall, you don't have to go, oh, no, what am I going to do? You yeah. can just say, um, well, okay, let's keep talking about this. Yeah. It gives you a confidence to, to move forward calmly and relationally instead of reacting. Yeah, and you know, along those lines, we could ask <clears throat> parents out there a simple question. When, what is the best way you found to deal with the flu for your children? Is it to wait until they come down with it and then take them to the doctors, give them all the liquids and such they can <clears throat> over and over? Or is it to take them in advance to a pharmacy or doctor and get them inoculated with a vaccine beforehand? And if you say it's the latter, which I would hope you say, do the same thing with your faith. Yeah, and so don't ignore the problem. Mm -hmm. And inoculation is a good um, metaphor for it because inoculation is an exposure and in a controlled setting, Mm -hmm. in a controlled manner. You're exposed to the problem in a controlled manner and and then you build up your defenses well we can expose our kids in a controlled manner to the well actually they're being exposed uncontrollably yeah but we can bring it to the point where we can turn it around to a to a true understanding and really it's not that difficult because many of these soundbite slogans that are out there they are really not that difficult to answer i call it a barrage of blanks yeah now, I like to remind everyone, you're listening to the Deeper Waters podcast. My guest is Tom Gerson. We're talking about his book, 
critical conversations. I would talk to your children about the Christian Parents Guide to Discussing Homosexuality of Teens. Now, next week is going to be Father's Day, Saturday. And we're going to, and actually, I didn't plan it out this way, but it just happened to work out this way in a happy coincidence. We're going to be having a conversation with Dr. Paul Vitz. It's going to be an hour-long show. He's going to be talking about his book, Faith of a Fatherless, where he looked at the lives of leading atheists in history, and some even day, and saw there was a connection that many of them had very bad relationships with their fathers. And by contrast, many great Christian thinkers had excellent relationships with their fathers. Now, it's, it's not a determining factor, but it is a highly influencing one, apparently. So, for Father's Day, we'll be talking about how important a good father is to a child's well-being in the faith. So, that's going to be next week with Dr. Paul Vitz talking about faith of a fatherless. <clears throat> for now, we've got Tom here, and we're talking about his book, like I said, Critical Conversations, a Christian Parents' Guide to Discussing Homosexuality of Teens. Now, Tom, I'd really like us to jump to just the third part of the book because mm-hmm. I mean, this, this is the one where, the part where this is the kind of stuff we need out there because you got about 27 slogans and everything. Right. And it's hard to imagine something that isn't covered in some form. Like maybe not the exact same words, but something that's not covered at all because these are the slogans that our children are being encountered and it's not sl- things that people have thought about at all they've just learned these road answers because frankly they haven't learned how to think for themselves they've just been taught what to think yep so let's uh, look at some of them now you did talk about the one about being a hater mm-hmm. now what about this whole idea of uh, we've got ever since the Orlando shooting we got people talking about homophobia and Islamophobia going on. I mean, oh, boy. What do you call this? Phobia, phobia means an, an irrational fear or aversion mm-hmm. to whatever. You, know, you could have acrophobia, which is an irrational fear of heights. Mm-hmm. And so if homophobia would mean um, an irrational fear or aversion to homosexual um, whatever, whether it's persons or whether it's um, symbols or whatever. You know what? I am not afraid of... I mean, it's just, I don't have that. I yes. just don't. I, I am not rationally or irrationally. I don't have an aversion to hanging out with people who identify as gay or lesbian. I just, I just right. don't. It's a... It's a, the charge when it's applied to me and to a whole lot of other people, I'm sure yourself included, mm-hmm. just isn't, mm-hmm. um, it's just a slogan they, they fling at us. It, it isn't true. I'm not afraid. Now, I do have an aversion to, to certain homosexual practices because I think they're wrong and there's, there is something there that I think is not clean. Yeah. Um, I have an aversion to that, but I don't think it's irrational because I have reasons for it, and I don't think that that's an irrational thing either. So, besides which, you know, um, they don't like us medicalizing them, and that's what they're doing to us. They they wanted to get homosexuality removed from the medical categories of the uh, of the APA diagnostic manuals, right. and. Um, 
And and so they don't like that. They're turning around and doing it to us. I think that that's that's um, that's not uh, consistent. I think there's something hypocritical going on there. Yeah. And when we talk about <clears throat> an aversion to something, I mean, for instance, we went out last Sunday for Father's Day with Ari's parents because Mike's going to be traveling on Father's Day, so he decided to celebrate a week in advance. We go to this wings place. Now, I don't care for wings, but I did get seafood. Now, Allie does not like seafood. She does not like the taste. She doesn't like the smell. And after I get done eating it, I have to brush my teeth before I can kiss her again. So you can be darn sure I'm brushing my teeth as soon as I can yeah. after each of these. If I can't brush my teeth, sometimes she'll start of taking a breath mat or something. But she doesn't like the smell of it, the taste or anything. But that does not mean that she's got a phobia of seafood. And no. We, we could say the same about homosexual practice. I don't like homosexual practice. It doesn't seem pleasant at all to me to think about, but that doesn't mean I'm afraid of it. Right. Yeah. So, you know, the word homophobia mm -hmm. is really, really convenient. It, it gets everything that that they want to say packaged down into one neat little five-syllable word, which is that we're irrational, we're mentally deficient, we're morally deficient, and we're going to get you with that word. I yeah. think that that's name-calling, and most of us learned that name-calling is not a good thing to do to each other mm -hmm. when we were kids. You know, something else about this as well is uh, at our apartment complex, we've had the poor open up recently and this gives an example of how marriage changes you because I'm having to learn to work on a lot because as cool and rational as I try to be in my thinking in many cases I am definitely hydrophobic and as soon as I get myself surrounded by water that rationality goes straight out the window I, I don't even realize the time how it is I'm acting <clears throat> that I would say yeah, it, it is kind of embarrassing to see it going on and such. And that is something I'm working on. I did have a good friend get me a good mask for swimming and such to help me overcome the fears and such because he's got the same things that this has really helped me out a lot. And what I bring that up is if you knew that I was hydrophobic and you saw me in a swimming pool and you saw me panicking and not being able to move around, just scared Siri and such, you would think anyone who went and made fun of me at that point had to be one of the biggest jerks on the planet because you don't make fun of someone who has a real honest phobia. But when it comes to homophobia, not only do you seem allowed to make fun of them, you seem allowed to be angry at them, to attack them because they have a phobia. And I have to ask, is this really any way to treat someone who you really think has a phobia? Yeah, it's cruel. It's I, I don't want to overstate it, and I don't think I am. Right. It's name calling, and it's um, it's a tactic that if we used it on them, they would consider it extremely offensive. Mm -hmm. um, we're, I, I don't want to use it on them, so I don't want to offend them in that way. But they do it to us. Yeah, that's, what, that's not a good thing. What I bring out when this kind of thing starts happening I say, I say you know we can talk about me or my wife when we're all day long I mean let's suppose for the sake of argument even that we actually did hate homosexuals that's for the sake of argument we don't let's suppose it was true 
Does that mean our arguments against homosexual behavior are necessarily wrong? No. I mean, the thing is, when you bring up our character into it, you're no longer discussing the issue. You're discussing us. We want to discuss yeah. the issue. Right. Now, here's something I want to do, though, Nick, is this is about a parent talking with a teen. We're getting into kind of the into the um, the extended version of an answer. Right. Here's what I wrote is this is what a parent could say to their teenager. And, and you have this for every single question. I have this for every question, something mm -hmm. like this. It's on page 103 of the book. And it says, you know, first of all, this isn't a script. It's a guide for discussion. But the mm -hmm. parent could say this. Uh, it's about three short paragraphs. Homophobia can mean many different things. Do you know what your friend means when they label you with that? Does your friend even know? How about if you find out just by asking them, what do you mean by that? Let them really explain it to you so you're not dealing with an empty label or mere name calling. You might discover they can't even answer that question. They might be so used to labeling people that way they've never taken the time to, to think through what it means. Whether they can answer you or not, the next question you might ask them is just as simple as the first one. Okay, if that's what you think about me, how did you come to that conclusion? Now, you don't have to ask it in exactly those words. You could ask, for example, what does homophobia mean in your opinion? What leads you to think I'm homophobic? Then, the parent is still advising the, the child this. You know, not, not as a script, but this is just uh, an approach. Then, you really ought to listen. You've asked a question, after all, so you need to show you're general, genuinely interested in the answer. Then, when... The time comes, explain what phobia really means. It means being irrationally afraid or avoiding something for irrational reasons. Then ask your friend, do I really look afraid of anyone here? Am I avoiding LGBT people? I'm not. So why are you labeling me as if I were? <laughs> no, that's the end of that. And it's it's really that simple. And it's usually that something that not every question in here is that simple. Some of them get a little bit more complicated, but it's just like um, the parent can have a conversation that goes a lot like that with the child or you give them guidance that looks a lot like that and you deal with it and um, and that, that might just take care of it. It's mm -hmm. not that hard. It's not scholarly at all. It's relational. Yeah, and you know, when you you say a visit isn't a script to follow, because I mean, parents, one of the last things I think you should do with Tom's book here is when you want to tell your children what they should say about this, you don't get it out and read straight from a book like that. That that will totally impersonalize it for your kid. I mean, what yeah. I, I'd recommend doing is just asking a kid what's on their mind and then they say well I'm being called a homophobe but then you can read over that a few times think it over try and phrase it in your own way then come back later and say what you'd say that way yeah now if you have to use the book the way to do it would be to sit down and read it together or have right. the teen read and say you know um, this is what somebody said would be a good way to answer uh, and I'm just going to have you read it and I'm going to talk it over uh, I'm going to let you read it. Well, what do you think of this? Mm -hmm. now, let's talk about another one of these slogans back okay. there. And this is the word tolerance. And uh -huh. it seems like out of nowhere, tolerance became 
the great virtue of the world. Although, strangely enough, ever since the Supreme Court ruling, tolerance is being talked about less and less. It's a bizarre connection. I hadn't noticed that. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but you might be right. Here's here's the deal with tolerance. Is it a stupid, weak, incompetent little fake virtue? Mm-hmm. And if, if, what I mean is this. It's, it's, it's embarrassing when you think about it. What does it take for me to be tolerant of somebody's music that I don't like? I can quit hanging around near them. Um, mm-hmm. What if I don't like the way somebody dresses? I can go sit in another part of the cafeteria. Tolerance, it, but I can say I tolerate you because I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not uh, complaining about it. I'm just tolerating it. What if I don't agree with your opinion on homosexuality? Well, we'll just agree to act like I do. And what this is going on in, in each case is this, is that I'm hiding some of myself from you. Mm-hmm. I am pulling back. I am not engaging with you for who I am and engaging with you for who you are. We are putting up a little barrier of pretend in between us. Let's pretend there's no difference. Well. I think that a, the, a, a real virtue, a re, the, the real kind of virtue we should be seeking is respect and love. And respect and love says, look, you know what? I respect the fact that you disagree with me. And I, I actually disagree with you. Let's, let's just take that as a fact. Mm-hmm. Can we be friends anyway? Can we love each other anyway? Can we talk about our disagreements rather than papering over them? Can we connect? Uh, can, I, can, can the person I really am connect with the person you really are? That's that's not tolerance, that's love, that's respect. Mm. Now, of course, there is a good place for tolerance. I mean, we've spoken about the goodness of marriage, and believe it or not, husbands and wives just don't agree on everything. Right. If if my wife got to watch what she went to consistently on TV, most of the time the the TV would be on the Weather Channel or Animal Planet, because she loves the nature stuff. If it was me and I had to get stuck on a, on a station, chances are we'd be stuck on a game show network constantly. Okay. And, but, you know, Animal Planet, Weather Channel, it's not my favorite thing, but if she turns it on, I can be fine with it. I don't have to raise a stink or anything. I can even stay in the same room, just read my book or something, and if I turn on the game show network, she can be fine. I mean, there is a place to practice tolerance. Right. Of course. But, yeah. yeah Go yeah, ahead. the problem is when tolerance gets misdefined. Right. And what you're talking about is real tolerance. Yeah. Tolerance that we're that we're yelled at for not practicing is the misdefined version mm-hmm. where it says you need to agree with my opinion. Mm-hmm. In other words, your tolerance is, okay, I don't agree with you that Animal Planet is the best one, but I'm willing to love you. Whereas you know, the the other form of tolerance that's being pushed on us is um not only do you have to um put up with Animal Planet, you have to you have to agree that it's the best. Mhm. Right. And tolerance it, 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 it's necessary to tolerate someone at times, but I like to say love is a step above tolerance. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. go ahead. Yeah, and love where you connect as real person to real person, not as um, pretend veneer to pretend veneer. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, when, we, we, when I was telling you about the whole tolerance, and I mean, talk about as much, every time it was going on, that tolerance was a one-way street. I mean, we were told we should allow the homosexuals to do what they want to do, but as soon as you don't want to bake a cake for the homosexual ceremony, well, all of a sudden, tolerance really isn't such a great virtue anymore. Right. Yeah, it gets um, it gets used rather hypocritically. Now, one other stuff I'd like to talk about here is ever since the Supreme Court ruling, we said, you know what, this has been decided. This is the law of the land, and if you disagree with that, you are on the wrong side of history. Yeah. Well, the Supreme Court uh, decided the Dred Scott decision. Uh, in favor of slavery, too. The Supreme Court doesn't determine what's the right side of history. And science doesn't either, which is one thing that people get wrong, because um, now science does determine what's the right side of history in terms of whether one chip is faster than another. Mm-hmm. Okay, But it doesn't determine ethics. There was a period in the early 1900s when Scientific American was publishing about the value and the goodness of eugenics, meaning we're going to take, um, we're going to render the morons and the imbeciles. I'm using their words, okay? Yeah. Their words. We're going to render them um, unable to have children, and that was the scientific thing to do then. And if you were on the right quote side of history at that time, you would have been in favor of that kind of eugenics. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what happened to history? Most people have forgotten about it, but it was real then. Mm-hmm. And just because it's there, there is no law that says that later is better. Right. And there's also no law that says that we know what later is going to mean 50 years from today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it seems to look like we look at any change that we do and say automatically this change is progress well that doesn't follow unless we have some idea what the goal is and what is our end goal right now because it looks like we're creating a more hostile society in fact because nowadays it seems it's okay if you can say you are offended by anything well that's enough to call out the attack hounds it is. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm afraid to get started on that one, though. <laughs> but you're right. Yeah. I just don't want to go down that path because there's too much there. Yeah, I've even been thinking about a watch. I like to watch these gaming videos on YouTube, and I watch it because I'm into the gaming field as well. And people talk about new events coming out, especially with E3, the big game conference and such going on. And people say, I feel like this would be, I feel like this would be, I feel like this would be. And I'm sitting around thinking, no, you don't. You think this would be. You think this would be. Stop telling me how you feel when you don't really mean the word fear. You mean the word think. And, you know, you could say, that's that seems a bit nitpicky. But, no, it isn't. Because we have to teach ourselves that we don't think with our emotions. Well, I think that there are people who are feeling rather than thinking. I feel that this verse means, Mm -hmm. um, okay, once you're done feeling about it, let's ask ourselves, okay, what does the verse mean? Mm -hmm. Let's get over the feeling and let's think about it. That's just one example, but uh, Mm -hmm. I agree with you. 
Now, I'd like to remind everyone that you're listening to the Deeper Waters podcast. <clears throat> and what we do here, <clears throat> it is listener-supported. And that means you. You people out there help make this a reality, help keep us going. And I really want to encourage you, <clears throat> go to deeperwaters.ddns.net, my website. If you can't find it, just type in Deeper Waters with my name, something like that. You'll find it eventually. There's a link there. Help support the work of Deeper Waters Christian Ministries. And within, in that paragraph there, there's another link. And when you click on it, you go straight to the Ministry of Risen Jesus. Have you gone to the right place? Yes. Yes, you have. That's the ministry of my in-laws, Mike and Debbie Lacona. And if you make a donation there, <clears throat> you contact me or Ari or Mike or Debbie and say, Hey, I made a donation. I want to go to Nick Peters. I want to go to Deeper Waters. Better make sure we get your donation. It will be tax deductible. And... If you can become a monthly donor, that's something that's even better. And folks, I, I honestly would love to say we've got a great gift for you if you become a monthly donor. Right now, we don't. I mean, that's where the finances are and such. I, I wish I could do a lot more, but I honestly can't. I really encourage you, please make those donations. It means so much to us. You can also buy books on through Amazon, books that I've bought, I've written, I mean, or co-written, such as one I've written, The Creed for the Ages, The Apostles' Creed in Today's Christian, or ones I've co-written, like Defining Inerrancy, or God and Natural Disasters, or Groundless, other books as well. And then, you know, Tom and I were talking about the importance of marriage and learn to sacrifice. And guys, it's there's one sacrifice you can make for your women that they usually appreciate. A lot of women really like jewelry. And I, I mean, my wife, for instance, she can't wear a lot of jewelry because she's allergic to knicker. And even the wedding ring, which I got, to make sure it had no knicker and such in it, there's still maybe a tiny little bit, so she has to be careful how much she wears that. But it doesn't mean she doesn't love the jewelry. She had a, a, a friend give her a gift because my wife struggles with depression. She's gone 18 weeks without cutting and I'm very proud of that. It's 18 weeks today. And my friends in her a necklace made of things like something called Keshi, I think it is. And I tell you, my wife loves wearing that necklace. And she comes to me, can you put it on me? Can you help me get it off? And, such. and of course, I have no objections at that point. But she loves the necklace, and guys, your women would likely love jewelry too. So there's a link. Support us via purchasing jewelry. You can buy it there. And my friend Lena Cluster runs the site. Use the code word love. And you get in touch with me if you want to buy jewelry and you can't figure out how you get in touch with her. And if you make a purchase, 25% of what you buy will go to Deeper Waters. So, guys, you can go out and get something very nice for your wife to make up for that big screw-up you did recently. Or 
to make up for that future screw-up, because I guarantee you, you are going to make a future screw-up, just as I were. Or maybe we're just one more over reasons, just buy it because you love her, darn it. And you'll make her very happy, you'll be very happy when she's very happy, and we'll be very happy because we get some of what you've brought as well. All the love goes around that way. And now, if you're someone who can't support us financially this time, like I understand this economy is rough, it's rough on all of us. Pray for us, that's great. Give your encouragement. If you like the show, if there's a topic you'd like to have discussed on it or such, get in touch with me. I'm usually very, very open to those kinds of things. And the reason this show came is because Tom got in touch with me and said, hey, I have this book. I think it'd be good to talk about on your show. I said, sure, we can do that. And one other thing you can do, I really love reading iTunes reviews of a show and seeing ratings have been given. It's it's such an encouragement. It warms the heart so much when I look and see your compliments and know you like the show. You really do like it. It really does matter to you. So please consider going and leaving an iTunes review. And now, Tom, do you have a, any organization or charity you'd like to see people donate to? Yeah, I do. Thanks, Nick. My work, um, I work three quarters of the time for Stream as an mm -hmm. editor, stream.org. The other quarter is devoted to local and national level strategic apologetics. And uh, before I got involved in apologetics, as I said earlier, as, as, before I got more this involved in apologetics, I was a strategist and I still care about strategic apologetics. I was just mm -hmm. out at, uh, in, at Biola a few days ago meeting with a group of people that I no longer lead, but that I did found national level leaders of apologetics ministries that um, we get together and and we do mutual learning together and um, we do uh, in mutual encouragement stuff like that. It happens on different levels and so I could use your help with, the, with the, this whole area of developing effective apologetics ministries that really connect with people who need to hear the good news of equipping in Christ. So the way to find me is, is to go to my blog, Thinking Christian, thinkingchristian.net, and you can click the donate link at the top is the mm -hmm. simplest way. There's also something that says strategic difference that gets you somewhere similar. But if you want one to remember, it's thinkingchristian.net, donate. Mm -hmm. And thanks for the opportunity to share that, Nick. Yeah, if you are hearing me typing in right now, like I said, this is a kind of low production show right now. I am going to the website. I always do that whenever I have a guest come on talking about the show and seeing what it's like. Yeah, thinkingchristian.net here and let's see it right here. In fact, you can go to the page, I see critical conversations right there in the front. There's a donate tab, so you can make your donation there and it is tax deductible, isn't it? Yes. Okay. Now let's get back to the book here. Now another comparison that's usually made is that the uh, the gay movement is compared with the civil rights movement, and uh -huh. where some people were wrong, we were wrong back then. A lot of Christians sadly were with the civil rights movement by going against it and such. <clears throat> and just as the civil rights movement was opposed and it's an embarrassment because we all know better now, so it will be with the homosexual movement. Yeah. Oh boy. 
Um, there's a couple things going on there. Um, let me focus especially on the whole civil rights question. The, um, the mistake that so many people have made is thinking that gay rights and civil rights are really two versions of the same thing. Mm-hmm. And when I realized they weren't is when I started thinking back, because I'm old enough, um, to think back to the heyday of the civil rights movement in the 60s, I never heard it described as a black rights movement. Mm-hmm. And I've gone on Google and I've checked to see whether my memory was correct, and there is very little reference anywhere to, quote, black rights. And here's why. Because what they were looking for, African Americans, wasn't African American rights or privileges, it was human rights and privileges. Mm-hmm. It was stuff that comes with being a human being. Mm-hmm. And and it was stuff that, you know, it's like, it, it wasn't that some black rights were being denied, it was that people were not, were denying the, the, the essential and complete and full total humanness of African Americans. Mm-hmm. So, that's, now, okay, there was no such thing as, quote, black rights, it was civil rights or human rights. Now, is there such a thing as, quote, gay rights? Yes. You hear about it all the time. It's different. And the difference is that gay rights are really gay special rights. Mm-hmm. Black rights were never, I mean, human rights, civil rights were never black special rights. Um but gay rights are gay special rights. We're going to go to the Supreme Court and ask the Supreme Court to create for us a new thing called gay marriage. The Supreme Court created the right for them. Of course, before they did that, the Supreme Court had to create for itself the right to create rights, which is a political mess. Mm-hmm. And um, But it's, it's not the same thing because civil rights were human rights that belonged to every human because they were human since the founding of the nation and and the, and what had to be done to, had to be corrected was the realization that blacks were humans in every relevant sense of the word mm-hmm. now with gays that's different we're not talking about oh gosh they're human after all let's let them marry what what they're saying is oh gosh they want to get married let's change marriage that's different Mm-hmm. Now, That's the more complicated ones, no. but it's, it's an important, huge difference. Now, in relation to about let's change marriage, some people say, yeah, didn't we already do that because interracial marriage used to be banned? Today we realize that there's no problem with interracial marriage. Yeah, that's not that's not a fair comparison because interracial marriage, nobody said that a man marrying a white man bearing marrying a black woman wasn't really marrying her they were saying they're married and ooh that's awful mm-hmm. um, so when men uh, of, and women of different races were allowed to marry they didn't change what marriage was they changed what they considered awful mm-hmm. well when the Supreme Court um, found for gay marriage they changed what marriage is and that's mm-hmm. really different yeah, and I think it's important we talk about the, the black movement in the 60s and such a civil rights movement that you had blacks walking down the street and they would be hosed by big hoses from fire engines and such. We're not talking about the garden hose you got out in your yard. We're talking about something that would be painful to get hit by. And there wasn't 
celebration. When Martin Luther King was speaking, he was he spoke like he was a majority, but he was in a minority at that point. And yeah. today is not all the same. I mean, you can have gay pride events going on. You did not have black pride events going on back then. No, they weren't allowed. Um, mm-hmm. You'd get in trouble. And the, um, or, I mean, they, they did, but they were surrounded by all kinds of um, mm-hmm. government interference. Right. Now, the other thing we've got to remember, though, is that there are some genuine acts of discrimination against gays and lesbians. Right. And that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Discrimination, um, we can get into that as a different word, but, but if someone is bullying a gay, and you're a young kid and, and, and you, you know, say you, you see a gay classmate being bullied, you're a Christian kid, your call, if you read the prophets, if you read what Jesus said, your call is to stand up for the person who's being oppressed. Mm-hmm. And your call is to stand up for the one who's being bullied. Mm-hmm. And all of that kind of, um, if there's unequal treatment that's not based on some relevant, um, some other, some relevant reason, and if it's just because they're gay or lesbian, uh, that's wrong, and Christians ought to call it wrong, and they ought to stand on the side of the oppressed. Mm-hmm. I agree entirely. And since you brought up, let's have a brief discussion. Where exactly is discrimination? Discrimination is making a difference. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I've had four foot surgeries, and I'll tell you, I'm very discriminating over who would do those surgeries. Mm-hmm. It has to be someone who knows what they're doing. That's discrimination, but it's good discrimination because it's discrimination on relevant grounds. Mm-hmm. Discrimination is getting used as a dirty word as if it was always wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, you're discriminating against gays if you don't let them marry. Well, okay, yeah, we are discriminating, but let's look at whether there are relevant reasons. Mm-hmm. And um, by the way, they're allowed to, they've always been allowed to marry. They just haven't been allowed to marry the person that they wanted to marry. And it wasn't because it wasn't permitted. It's because marriage was defined so that it wasn't a marriage. Mm-hmm. So, okay, I'm wrapping myself around and making sure I say everything right, and I forgot where I started. Mm-hmm. Um, discrimination is evil if we discriminate for irrelevant reasons. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, for example, skin color is irrelevant to employment. Right. And if you discriminate as an employer on the basis of skin color, you're committing an evil act. Mm-hmm. However, suppose you've got two movies being filmed and you're the casting director for both of them at the same time, and one of them's about George Washington and the other one's about George Washington Carver. Right. You want the black men to line up for the George Washington Carver position and you'll reject the white men in that line. Right. And you want the white men to line up for the George Washington position and you will reject the black men in that line. Mm-hmm. Skin color matters mm-hmm. for yeah. that job. Right. It's pretty rare, but sometimes skin color matters. Mm-hmm. Um, now, most of the time in employment, um, sexual orientation doesn't matter. In some uh, ministry settings, it does. And then, and there, it's more the beliefs that matter than the orientation. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
what we need to do is talk about what discrimination really means and not just use it as a dirty word. Yeah. You know, we, we also have this thing coming about judging others a lot of times. When you talk about discrimination, I remember my former roommate, when he found a new place to live in Charlotte, he was living with a boy who'd had a stroke, so he was kind of a constant companion there to help him out. And he had a, a caregiver who came by, and I was there visiting once, and this caregiver came by. She's a nice lady. I'm pretty sure she was a Christian. And she's talking about some event, and they said, well, you know, we're very not supposed to judge. Can't be judging and such. And so I decided to kind of pour a great cocoa, pour a roof out here and such, and take the roof off, I should say, and say, and probably say, um, you drove here, right? Yeah. If you're a, is your car parked in the garage? Yeah. Are the doors locked? And as soon as I said that, she knew she'd been trapped. Yeah. Yep. I, okay, I get what you're saying here, because some judging and some discrimination, it's unavoidable. Right. And you know what's going on? It used to be that um, the most commonly quoted verse in the Bible was John 3.16. Then it became the most commonly quoted verse in the Bible was judge not lest you be judged from Matthew 7. You know what's going on now? It's a huge not. increase in judgmentalism. Right. And it's judgmentalism toward people who are um, opposed to gay rights. Mm -hmm. We are getting slammed with judgmentalism right and left. Mm -hmm. So judgmentalism is back in. Yeah. It's kind of ironic. I've said before to my wife, that, hon, if you want to recognize someone who is really intolerant, someone who is really judgmental and such, just like the people who preach the most against judgmentalism and preach the most for tolerance, they usually fall in that rubric. Yeah, and, and the really funny ones is when you get, you are so bad. You are being judgmental. That is so bad of you. Yeah. And you just go, <laughs> um, excuse me, but when you say I'm so bad, aren't you being judgmental? And, you know, it's, it's a really self-contradictory thing for them to do. Mm -hmm. Judgment is a good thing if it's done on good basis. Right. Now, Only if it's good on a good basis and from a clean heart and lots of other things. Now, to go back to the whole civil rights thing and such, one thing I'll use for being told is they are opposed to equality. And yeah. on, this, this is a hard one to be put in because I mean, who wants to be against equality? Oh my gosh, no, you don't want to be against equality. It's right there in the Declaration of Independence. It's in the King James Version of the Declaration of Independence. Mm -hmm. um, that was, it, you don't have to laugh. Nick, I just hope somebody listening to this does. Anyway. Yeah, it took me a second to catch on there. <laughs> but anyway, um, equality is really at the core of American character and, and our values. So if you can get labeled as being anti-equality, man, you are really sunk as far as being a good American. Well, guess what? Everybody <laughs> is against marriage equality. Everybody mm -hmm. is for marriage equality. What I mean is this. I am for marriage equality up to a certain limit. Mm -hmm. Most gay advocates, well, virtually every gay marriage advocate is for gay marriage up to a certain limit. And beyond that limit, 
they're opposed to marriage equality. They're not in favor of marriage equality, uh, most of them, if it involves threesomes or foursomes or incestual rela incestuous relationships. So, if, I, if I could comment on that briefly. Yeah. Years ago, I read uh, Jonathan Rauch's book about gay marriage. He said how it was good for gays, good for straights, good for America, which I've a review of. And he he we start talking about polygamy. He said, well, you know, we can we just don't allow polygamy because marriage is something, and that's not marriage. And I was thinking, yeah, it, it's so there you strange. Go. You want to change it for you, but then when polygamy comes along, says no, we, we're we're not going that far. Okay, so he's saying I'm not in favor of marriage equality mm -hmm. beyond my certain limit. Right. Well, okay, everybody can say I've got a limit beyond that point. I'm in, I'm not in favor of marriage equality, and then and then you say, well, what's your limit? Well, what's your limit? And all of a sudden, you're talking about the limits, which is what the conversation really should be about. And let's forget this equality cap buzzword and say, you know what, we're not disagreeing over equality, we're disagreeing about the limits. Mm -hmm. That's the only disagreement. Mm -hmm. And so, quote, equality is not the issue, it's the limits. Mm -hmm. Everybody is against equality beyond their personal chosen limits, or their, in my case, I would say, um, highly God-directed chosen limits, and you can disagree with me on that if, if you want. I know you don't, Nick. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I remember a few weeks ago I was talking with someone on a, a group and we were saying, you know, beyond your religious argumentation and your bigotry and hatred, does anyone have any good reason why homosexuals should not get married? And so I just posted and the first thing I response is, okay, let, let's uh, talk about a question here. What is marriage? And as soon as I asked, I was like, I, I haven't really thought about that one before. And I said, okay, so let me oh, get this good. right. Make it straight. You're saying we should let homosexuals get married, and it'd be good, but you don't know what marriage itself is, but somehow you know it'd be good for them. And then when they start trying to refine their differences, you know, as long as two people consent, okay? Why does it have to be two people? Why does it have to be consensual? What, I mean, why, what makes all of these marriage? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that's his limit. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. And he believes in marriage equality up to that limit. Yeah. So, um, up beyond that limit, he's against marriage equality. Mm -hmm. And the, the thing is that it's unavoidable to talk about metaphysics here. And a lot of people don't realize that if... If you say marriage can be whatever you want to be, anyone can make it anything, well, marriage at that point becomes essentially nothing. It doesn't really matter because it can be made anything. I mean, if I said, I want to go out and get my PhD, what's a PhD? A PhD can be anything you want. But that's not an accomplishment at all at that point. But if it really is what it is, then it is something. And we have to discuss then what is marriage. Well, yeah, I don't go into metaphysics in my book for parents here. Yeah. Um, and so I don't want to scare potential readers off, but I know you've got some listeners who are not going to be scared by this discussion. So right. um, just bear in mind that the book has one audience and your podcast probably has another. Mm -hmm. But when the question is, what is marriage, the problem that we run into, I think, with our audience is that they're stuck on the middle word, is. Like... 
What do you mean marriage is something? Marriage was something yesterday. Okay, today it is something. Tomorrow it'll be something else. Just like everything involved, so does marriage. So why are you stuck on that word is? And we have got to work on recognizing that people don't understand that is means something. This is not Bill Clinton's question, but it is what is it what is the meaning of is when we say what is marriage? From a Christian perspective, from I think a sensible perspective, marriage is something. Right. It's not just a snapshot on the way to becoming something else. But mm -hmm. that's a very um foreign conception of of the nature of things um, to most of our current society. That's a tough one for them to understand. Now let's talk about something else in related to homosexuality because we often tell that uh, you don't choose to be homosexual. People are born homosexual and so therefore somehow we should allow them to marry one another. Yeah. You know, this is where it gets really tough in a pastoral sense. Yes. Because, okay, the um, what we're going to say from like just a straight a straight answer is, according to the Bible, you cannot marry the person that you are romantically romantically attracted to. But if you choose to follow Christ with all your heart. He will satisfy. Now, pastorally, from a from a Christian witness perspective, we have to make that a credible statement. We have to show that we are satisfied in Jesus Christ. We have to show that He is that good. And and by the way, too, um, there are a lot of straight people who cannot marry the person they want mm -hmm. to marry, yeah. and that's one of the ways in which singleness. Um, Undesired singleness can be a witness, which is to say, okay, I am alone as far as marriage is concerned and as far as romance is concerned, but I love Jesus Christ and I am content. Um, can a married person like me or you make that statement? Mm -hmm. Well, n no, but I can make right. the statement that I'm content even though... For the last four and a half years, I have not taken a single step without pain. Yeah. I, I mean, we all have different kinds of hard things to go through. Mm -hmm. um, I hate that people have to go through hard things, although I know God knows what he's doing. And so let's be credible about this, but let's remember that Jesus Christ is good enough. Mm -hmm. You know, something else I like to ask people when they talk about this kind of thing is because really there's no hard data on this either way and it's the same thing with uh, the thing of where homosexuals make just as fine parents there's no hard data right now either way but i have to point and say my wife has ptsd she wasn't born with it so does that mean she chose to have ptsd of course not I mean, we don't necessarily know what causes homosexuality, but it still doesn't mean that the practice is okay to participate in. Right. Yeah, yeah where it comes from is, is not as important a question as whether it's right or wrong. And because things can come from, quote, natural sources and still be hard to 
live with. And from a biblical perspective, the one uh, overarching explanation for that is original sin. We're all born with a problem. We all, and just because we're born with it doesn't make it not a problem. It is a problem. It's called sin. It needs Jesus Christ and his redemption to solve. But you know, since I did bring that up, it is something we should talk about as we're near the end, is what about these, I mean, this is something you've spoken about since you've studied sociology. What about these claims that homosexual couples make just as good parents as straight couples do? Well, there's a lot wrong with that. First of all, they've got studies and um, that say that that's so. Uh, we've got studies that say that that's probably not so. They get really annoyed at the methodological weakness of our studies, they, which there are some. Mm -hmm. We don't have perfect research on this. But we've, we've got suggestive hint, hinting research that says that. We do have really, 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 really strong data that says that a mom and a dad are really good for kids. But, in, but as far as homosexual parents, that's, that, yeah, sociologically, the jury's still out. But by the way, their data that they use against us, their methodology is really bad. They use, they use the wrong size samples drawn from the wrong sources. It's, scientifically, it's, it's rotten. But here's the worst problem. Suppose you have a study yeah, I mean, let me back up. The worst problem is to think that you can even study the question because we won't know the effects of gay, uh, of, of same-sex couples being parents until their kids have grown up and had kids. Mm -hmm. Anybody who says we've got an answer is at least 20 to 40 years or two early. Mm -hmm. And it looks like we are doing this experimental game about knowing what the results could be. It's a very dangerous position to put our societies in. It is. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you were to run this by the ethics committee in, in a research center at a, at a university mm -hmm. and say, we're going to put kids through this kind of a research, and we won't know if it comes out good for them or not for 20 years, but, it, you know, it might come out bad. Will you approve funding for this? And they'll say, we won't even let you do it. Mm-hmm. But we're doing it. Yeah. We're usually so protective of our children. And right now, the children, many times, don't really seem to even matter. No. Oh, we're sinning against the next generation with this, with abortion, with national debt. The mm -hmm. kids don't matter. It's sin. Mm-hmm. And it, it should be no surprise that when we live that way, we talk that way, that our children grow up to be just as self-centered. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, now, as we get close to the end of this interview, and we do have to start wrapping things up, we've only got about five more minutes to discuss the issues. And what is your hope for parents who get this book? Well, honestly, Nick, this is going to sound self-serving. I've been praying this turns into a bestseller. <laughs> and it's not because I need the money, and I, I actually don't want to get famous for this in particular because I'll get, I'd rather stay invisible. But mm -hmm. I can't. Um, what my hope is that we can see the beginnings of a turnaround in the next generation when Christian parents' kids grow up 
realizing that the homosexual message is not the only message, that there's a good answer to it. But the, the, the converse is this. Kids who, go, who live life under the barrage and think that the homosexual message is the good message are going to mm-hmm. think that the Bible message is the bad message, and they're going to turn away from not just the Bible but from Jesus Christ. And, um, and parents, your kids are an incredible spiritual danger. Mm-hmm. You have got to step up and protect them from that, from the lies. You can protect them from the lies by relationally, calmly, knowledgeably sharing the truth. And if you don't do it, chances are your church isn't going to do it. I haven't seen right. them doing well on this. Pastors, you have got to get this book. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got to do this. Otherwise, we're going to lose the next generation spiritually. That means eternally. You've mm-hmm. got to get this. Yeah, and, you know, we could say that some people are looking and say, it just seems like a hopeless situation right now. Where, you know, they probably said the same thing back when abortion was legalized, but you have more and more young people rising up, even secularists rising up and saying, no, we don't support abortion. We condemn abortion. Right. And and you go back to the civil rights movement. Some people probably said that that was hopeless. Mm-hmm. And has it accomplished all of its objectives? Definitely not. Mm-hmm. Nowhere near. But is it better than it was? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's better than it was. And I think that's how this is going to be. You know, something I tell husbands preparing to marry and say, you know what, you have to remember, if you're in ministry, what you do is important, but you are not the only one who does it. Yeah. You are married to your wife. You are not married to your ministry. And if you get to eternity and you have done a wonderful ministry, but you have not loved your wife the way you're supposed to, I count you a failure in ministry. Now, what's the reference is? It's because parents, there are many, many things that people can do with your children, but it is not your pastor's job. You are the ones that have the responsibility of raising your children up in the fear of the Lord and teaching them biblical principles. You can give them all the games and toys and such, take them out for ice cream, all you want to, but if you do not equip them spiritually, and get them to learn the things of God, then you are essentially failing as a parent. Right. But don't be too scared because right. the uh, you have got to do it. But I, again, the risk of signing self-serving, um, but I've had many people affirm this, I, that this book will give you what you need. As Frank Turek said, just sit down for an evening. You can read it in a couple hours. Yeah. You can, you can get equipped, and you can do it. Yeah, and folks, Sean McDowell endorsed this book last week. I give it my own endorsement. I, I enjoyed reading it. I thought the insights were very helpful. And Tom's right. It, you can read this book in just a few hours, and it would be very worthwhile hours. So you can find it at criticalconversationsbook.com on the web or just look it up on Amazon, Critical Conversations, Christian Parents Guide to Discussing Homosexuality with Teens. I've got it brought up here, in fact, on Amazon, something I do whenever a book's talk on the show. 
It's a critical conversations for Kindle edition right now. It's 1085. That's the way I read it. It's a great way to read a book. And the paperback is 1142. But Tom, we've come to the stopping point now. If someone wants to get in touch with you, they have more questions and want to find out more. Do you have a blog or website or way people can get in touch with you? Yeah, probably the best way. I've got a question and answer page at criticalconversationsbook.com. And that's the easiest way to get in touch with me. Or Tom at thinkingchristian.net if it's by email. But mm-hmm. if it's a question related to the book, go to the Q&A page at criticalconversationsbook.com. In fact, I'm going right there right now. That's the typing sound that you hear. And uh, do you have uh, any final message you'd like to leave today for the Deeper Waters audience? You can be equipped. You can do it. Pastors, parents, you can get equipped. Mm-hmm. You have to get equipped. You can have these conversations with your kids. And if you don't, somebody else will. Mm-hmm. But you can do it, and you can protect your kids from the onslaught. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd like to thank you for coming on, Tom, and hopefully we'll see you back here again sometime. I would be glad to come. It's always great talking with you, my friend. Thank you. And I'd like to thank you for your friendship as well. It's great getting to see you in New Orleans back oh, in 2015. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to remind everyone that next week, Paul Vitz, Dr. Paul Vitz, is going to be on my show talking about his book, Faith of the Fatherless. For now, I'm Nick Peters, and I'm signing off.